He loves us so, doesn't he? Isn't that amazing? Let me, let me ask you guys a question. How much of, and I, and I want you to feel free to shout out a percentage. I want to know, how much of the United States do you guys think is actually evangelical Christian? Give me a percentage. What do you think? How much? Ten? Ten? How much? Five? Twenty? I hear twenty over here. Do we get thirty? Can I hear thirty? Can I hear thirty? We can do this all day long. It's good. Well, believe it or not, most people actually think that 40 to 70% of Americans are evangelical Christian. And in fact, of the 316 million Americans in our country's population, 128 million of them, or roughly 40 to 41%, actually claim to be born-again Christians. Well, that's awesome. But the problem comes when we begin to evaluate it a little bit closer. And we realize that these people that claim to be born again, most of them, don't actually believe what evangelical Christians believe. And so when I call us evangelical Christians, and I say that they don't believe what we believe, let me qualify that. What I mean by that is that as evangelical Christians, we trust in Jesus alone for salvation. And we value God's word as the true standard for belief and practice. And so that number... 40 to 70%, that 40 to 41% that claim to be born again, is actually much lower when we're talking about real Bible-believing, Jesus Christ-worshipping evangelical Christians. According to some nationally recognized specialists, such as Dr. Christian Smith, professor of sociology at Notre Dame, his findings record that 7% of Americans are evangelical Christians. And according to David Olson uh, with the American Church Research Project, 8.9% are evangelical Christian. Uh, The Barna Group, which many of you may be familiar with, the most experienced evangelical pollsters uh, in our nation, they also found that America is populated with 7% evangelical Christians. And then Christine Wicker, an award-winning religion reporter writes that her findings conclude 7%. 7%. That's roughly 1 in 14 Americans are evangelical Christians who believe that Jesus Christ alone is the way to salvation and that the Bible alone is the standard for our belief and practice. And so let me paint a picture for you of what 1 in 14 actually looks like. Of our 316 million people in America, that's roughly 22 million. And now New York State is populated with about 21 million people. And so roughly what we could do is we could ask everyone in New York State to move out of the state. And then all the evangelical Christians could move into New York. And here's a picture of what that would look like. That red spot up there represents 1 in 14 Americans being evangelical Christian. The rest of the United States would remain just as populated as it is today, but they would all be non-Bible-believing, non-Jesus-worshipping people, some of whom think that they're, they've been born again. You guys might be able to relate with one pastor who wrote that he never thought he would see the day when atheists would be angry, when Christians 
wouldn't know they were in a war, when morality would be in free fall, when the Bible would be insignificant, and when the church would be irrelevant. Welcome to 21st century America, a land in desperate need of great churches magnifying our great God. And now I know that learning all this can be sad. It's quite disheartening. But at the same time, on the other side of the coin, it can be kind of exciting if you think about it. Because if you were here last Sunday, you heard our pastor preach a message about how God is calling us to not just be content with being a good church, but to be a great church. That's awesome. I get excited about that. I get excited when I have students investing in relationships with other students who don't believe in Jesus. I get excited when I see students and fathers baptize their kids in the baptismal because kids are coming to Christ. I get excited about that. And I get excited when I get invited to be a member or a part of a 2020 vision research team that is basically just mapping out the future of what it means for us to go from being good to great. That's exciting to me. But there's something that must be addressed if we're going to actually move from being a good church to a great church. It's one thing. And that's our mission. You say, well, what's wrong with our mission? There's nothing wrong with our mission. Our mission is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that's a fantastic mission. In fact, I believe that lines right up with this book right here, with Scripture. The problem is the execution of the mission. You see, we realize that Jesus called us to make disciples. And so we've been a good church. We've been a good church. We go to worship services. We give to Lottie Moon. We tithe. We sing in the choir. We go to our grow groups. We rally a few times a year around some outreach efforts. And believe it or not, this is going to be hard to believe, some of us even volunteer some of our time to serve in the nursery. Pretty amazing, isn't it? You see, we check our 3G boxes, and that's great. We gather, we grow, and we go. But if you look closely at the mission of our church, it calls for something greater than just checking 3G boxes. Because the mission of our church, it doesn't stop there. These three G's are a process through which we align our various ministries to ensure that we inspire, equip, and empower everyone to fulfill the Great Commission, to perform our mission, to to do our mission, which is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so let me go back to something I said earlier. Our execution has been rather weak. And I say this because each year we do a church-wide survey And that survey has revealed to us that of all the things we're good at, our weakest spot is personal evangelism. Telling people about Jesus. And so let me me put it in perspective for some of you, some of you who are runners. It's like we've been training for years. We have studied our routes. We've eaten well. We've gotten enough rest. We've 
laced up our shoes. We've even gotten into the car and showed up for the race. We've arrived. We're here. But the problem is the gun went off and so many of us are just standing still. And that's got to be different. We're all familiar with the stories of Jesus telling people to come and follow him and he'd make them fishers of men. But I want to examine another passage for a minute. So if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it starts off, it says, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Barna Group also recently reported that most evangelical Christians actually have no specific person in mind for whom they're praying for salvation. Not one person. A recent survey of 2,500 Protestants revealed that 29% of them said that they had actually, in the past six months, shared with someone twice or more how to become a Christian. 29%. 57% of these Protestants in this survey said in the past six months they hadn't shared Jesus at all with anyone. They had not told one person how to become a Christian. And what's interesting is that most people, it's interesting, it's sad, most people think that, well, evangelism just isn't my gift, and so I'm, I'm not responsible for that kind of outreach. That's just not my thing. But you see, the problem is we can't disconnect the message of Jesus Christ from the mission of Jesus Christ. We cannot do that. The idea that one can be fully devoted to Jesus Christ without sharing their faith suggests one of three things. Either that person is not truly saved, they have not experienced genuine salvation through Jesus Christ, they don't understand the significance of their salvation in Jesus Christ, or they have just been significantly misinformed about their role in the disciple-making process when it comes to telling other people about Jesus. And you say, well, you know, it's just evangelism. Why is that such a big deal? Let me share with you why that's a big deal. Because when you look at Matthew chapter 28, you see Jesus, after he's resurrected from the dead, comes before his disciples and he says, all authority belongs to me. In heaven and on earth, from the beginning to the end, all authority is mine. Not only did he say all authority is mine, but then he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And make disciples teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. Everything. Including the command to go and make disciples. And so the problem that one faces when they say, well, evangelism just isn't my thing, 
it's not my spiritual gift to share Jesus with the people that I talk to on a regular basis. The problem for them may not necessarily be relevant or may not necessarily be revealed right now, but the problem comes when they stand face to face with God. Because whether we like to think about it or not, every one of us in this room is going to stand face to face with the author and creator of the universe one day. And we're going to have to give an account. And that person is going to have to look Jesus Christ in the eyes and say, I did not make one single disciple. Not one. I was just too scared. You can't disconnect the message of Christ from the mission of Christ. And if we want to be a great Christian, we have to obey the Great Commission. We have to. We have to go. And we have to tell people about Jesus. And this is why in Romans chapter 1, Paul starts off his letter saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. Because it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. It's the power of God for salvation. But instead of echoing what Paul said about not being ashamed of the gospel, we come across people today, in today's society, one of those other 13 of the 14 Americans, and we see the difficulties they're going through. We see the hardships they're facing. We see the turmoil. We see the destruction in their lives. We see the work of the enemy in their lives. We hear it in their speech. We see it in their actions. And we look at them and we say, oh, bless their heart. That's so sad. But, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't say anything to them. I mean, who am I? I'm not a preacher. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't even really know much about the Bible. You know, I can't say anything to them. I mean, what if, what if they ask me something I don't know? And, and then even worse, what if I get it wrong? What if, what if they ask me something I don't know and I give them the wrong answer and then they make fun of me? Then where will I be? They make fun of me. They might even stop being my friend. And that, just, that would just be devastating. Can't have that. Guys, I realize that it's scary in today's culture when we're outnumbered 13 to 1 to share Jesus. But we have to get over that. We have to. I realize that we don't like conflict and we don't like rejection. And so, more oftentimes than not, we're just tempted to kind of underhand things to people. Here. Or maybe we just stick a Jesus fish on the back of our car and we drive around town and hope that one day somebody's going to see our secret Jesus fish club sticker and they're going to want to join the Jesus Fish Club. Guys, Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples. So we cannot just sit and make excuses. When you look at the beginning of the book of Acts, the first two chapters share a very compelling story. It's amazing. Jesus shows up, comes to the disciples, and he tells them, hey, you guys, hang out here. Because the Holy Spirit is on his way. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be his witnesses. Not just here in Jerusalem, 
not just in Judea, not just in Samaria, but to the ends of the earth, all over the world, you will be his witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes. And so we see the Holy Spirit arrives, and then awesome things start to happen. You know what happens when awesome things start to happen? People start mocking these awesome things. When God's at work, Satan's right behind him. Ready to just throw a wrench in everything. But in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit show up. And it says that there's this loud rush of noise. And the disciples start speaking in tongues. Everyone starts speaking in tongues. And there's just this commotion going on. And these people are standing by. Some of them are like, what in the world? What is this? And then other people, those mockers, they're sitting by. And they're just like, man, those guys must be drunk or something. This is ridiculous. Look at them. They start mocking them. And right about that time when we start getting mocked or made fun of, that's when we like to kind of hang our heads and walk away and like, man, they just think I'm goofy now. But that's not what Peter did. Peter stands up. The same Peter that was a coward and afraid to stand up for Jesus before he was crucified. The same Peter. Now that he's got the Holy Spirit. He stands up and he says, this Jesus that you crucified... God raised him up again. And we all witnessed it. And now he's given us the Holy Spirit. And that's what you're seeing and hearing right now. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And so you be sure that God has made the Jesus that you crucified. Both Lord and Christ. The Bible says that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they started asking, well, what do we do? Okay, so, you know, we get it. We get it. What, but what do we do now? What are we supposed to do? Peter says to him, all of you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the Holy Spirit too. And this doesn't just go for you. It goes for you and your children and your children's children and their children's children. It goes for everybody. It goes for everyone who God is going to call to himself. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And it says that Peter didn't just stop there, but he kept talking to them. And he kept pleading with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Save yourselves. Save your kids. Save your families. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The Bible says that that day, there were 3,000 added to their number. That day, there were 3,000 added to their number. And we, we read about the life change that goes on in these people, and the way they start acting, the way they start obeying Christ. They start obeying what Jesus told them to do. And you know what else the Bible says? The Lord was adding day by day those who were being saved every day could you imagine that kind of power that kind of miracle in a nation that's so desperate for the message of Christ if the Lord started adding to our 1 in 14 day by day guys there's power in telling people about Jesus. You see, when you start telling people about Jesus, you become like a conduit 
for the Holy Spirit to start working in their hearts. But you have to start talking. You have to get moving. If we want a movement like that in Acts, we've got to move like those in Acts. And now I don't want you to be confused. This isn't a guilt trip. This isn't a message designed to make you sad about having a Jesus sticker on your, a Jesus fish sticker on your car. I like the Jesus fish sticker. Keeps me from getting road rage every now and then. Like, oh, better straighten up. But what this is, is an exhortation intended intended to encourage and inspire you. You see, sadness is what characterized the rich young ruler when he didn't make the cut. He had done everything he was supposed to do, and then Jesus tells him, all right, fine, all that stuff you're hanging on to, why don't you go get rid of that and then come follow me? And he didn't make the cut. He couldn't do it. He wasn't willing. He was not willing to do what Jesus asked him to do. And so he hung his head and he walked away. And that's not what we're going to do here today. We're not going to hang our heads and walk away. Because you see, what happened right after the rich young ruler walked away is Jesus starts talking about how difficult it is for people to enter, for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are all perplexed and they're like, well, you know, well then who can be saved? You know, if that guy didn't make it, who can be saved? Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, the things that are impossible with men, they're possible with God. They're possible. And so it's really cool when you look and you move from Luke chapter 18 to Luke chapter 19. And the very next person that we see them encounter, the very first thing we see in Luke chapter 19, they encounter another rich man. Another rich guy. Jesus is walking up to him. He says, hey, little man, come on down here. I'm going to your house today. This guy was a chief tax collector. He'd been ripping people off for years, taking their money. He was filthy rich. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today, so come on. And Zacchaeus got so excited that he was in the presence of Jesus and that Jesus wanted to get to know him. And he said, wait a second, hold on, wait. We've got to stop for a second. All of my stuff, half of it is going to the poor. Take half of everything, I'm giving it to the poor. And then he says, for all you people that I ripped off over the years, I'm going to make it up to you. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a deal. All the stuff, all the money that I took from you, I'm going to pay it back. But I'm not just going to pay it back. I'm going to pay back four times what I took from you. Four times. It's the kind of life change Jesus can do in the heart of somebody when they get to know him. You know what Jesus said about that rich man? He said, surely salvation has come to this house today. Salvation has come to this house today. And you see, that is the beauty of the gospel. Is that we have so much clutter in our minds. We have all these things going on in our heads that say, you know, you just, you can't share the gospel. You can't tell people about Jesus. You don't know enough about the Bible. You haven't known Jesus long enough. You've got all this stuff. What, I know who you used to be. There's no way. You, you're nobody to be out there telling people that Jesus loves them and he can save them. And all the while, 
We know that just like in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is right here today, piercing every one of your hearts, saying, but yes, you can. You can tell people about Jesus. Look at what's happened over the past 2,000 years. You think that was an accident? You can do this. We're in it together. You see, we're not alone when we share Jesus with people. The Holy Spirit is right there. So look back to Luke chapter 10 with me. And I want to skip down to verse 17. I want you to notice what happens to those 72 that Jesus sent out. When Jesus sent them out, he told them, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That's kind of scary. It's probably more scary than being one in 14. It says in verse 17, but the 72 returned with joy. They returned with joy. And after they debriefed for a little while, Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, but you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. You see, these 72 not only got to experience their own joy, but they got to experience the joy of Christ. And it's not because they were special. They were no different than you and me. The 72 got to experience this joy and the joy of Christ because they were willing to go and they were willing to experience what Jesus had in store for them. Are you willing to go and experience what Jesus has in store for you? You see, Jesus didn't just say come and they came. Jesus said go. And they went. I find it amazing that in America, we try to find so many excuses why we don't have to share our faith. It's not my job. It's not my gifting. I don't know enough. We find excuses in America why we don't have to share our faith. But there are Christians all over the face of this earth wishing they could just get to, wishing they could experience this joy and this privilege that comes from sharing Jesus with someone else and watching the Holy Spirit start to work in their hearts. God's calling us to be a great church, but that can only happen when we fully devote ourselves to following Jesus Christ. And that's not just when we're around people who know him, but even more so when we're around the people who don't. When I die and I have to be face to face with Jesus, my hope and my prayer is that I can look him in the eyes and I can echo the words of Paul. When he said, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of everyone because I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. I wasn't afraid. Don't you want that? When I get to heaven, I want to be able to say, God, I did it. 
Everybody you told me to talk to, everyone you allowed me to cross paths with, I told them about Jesus. I told them what Peter told them in the book of Acts. To repent and be baptized. To receive Christ. To let the Holy Spirit in. I told them. I wasn't afraid. I did what you told me to do, God. And don't you want to be able to say that too? Don't you want to be able to look Jesus in the eyes and say, I did what you told me to do, and I wasn't afraid to do it. I did it. I accomplished the task. My belief is that every one of us in here wants to be able to say that when we come face to face with the creator of the universe. And my belief is that when we leave this place today, we're going to stop making excuses why it's not our responsibility to share our faith. And my belief is that when we obey God in that, we'll truly move from being a good church to a great church. And so I've got a special task for each of us in here. If you got one of these communication cards, you look on the back there and it's got the passage from our message today. It's got the principle, Jesus not only said come and they came, but Jesus said go and they went. And then it's got a practice. My challenge to you, because here at Southside Baptist Church, we want to empower and inspire and equip everyone to fulfill the Great Commission. And so my challenge to you is that you will invest in two people this year. You'll invest in making strong relationships with two people this year. And that by November 1st, you will have invited them to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's my challenge to you today. And I say by November 1st because my hope is that after I talk to the leadership team here at the church, my hope is that around Thanksgiving time, all the people that we have invested in and invited to come and receive Christ, my hope is that we'll have them all gathered here and we can celebrate what a great work God has done in this great church. That's my hope. That's my prayer. And so I leave you with that challenge. And if you look at the inside of this, there is a spot for you to put prayer requests and praise reports. And so if you know the two people that you're going to invest in and invite this year to receive Christ, why don't you go ahead and write their names down in there? If you can't write their names, write their initials or make a name up. You see, what happens when you guys fill these out is the prayer requests all get compiled onto a list and at our Tuesday morning staff meetings, we get to sit around and we pray over every single prayer request that comes in on these communication cards. And nothing fills my heart with more joy than when we get to see a prayer request on there that says, please pray for my friend so-and-so, or please pray for my blank, my, my relative, my brother, my sister, my dad, my mom, because they don't know Jesus. I love praying for that, because I know the power in sharing Jesus. And so, if you know who that is, write it on here. And when we take up the offering here in a little bit, the plate will come by and you can just drop that in the plate and we'll start praying for him today. And so right now, if you would all stand, we're going to have a time of invitation.
Maybe you've spent too many years relying on your fish sticker on your car instead of actually sharing Jesus with people. Maybe you're here today and you just never realized that Jesus was calling you to a personal relationship with him. And maybe you're here today, you're looking for a church home, and you finally stumbled upon one that desires not just to be good, but to be great in the eyes of Almighty God. Whatever your situation is today, if there's a decision you'd like to make or some special prayer that you'd like to receive, then I'll be down here. We're going to sing a song, a hymn of invitation. And so won't you come?